0: I don't want to go up there. I don't want that to end. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, we just saved all of you a couple thousand dollars because, you know, to, to get the airplane tickets and to get to the Grand old opera, you just had it right here. It was wonderful. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, the um, During the Civil War, families um, in the, started in the South. Families in the South would go to... Um, in in the springtime, particularly in May, and they would decorate the graves of their fallen family members. And that idea caught on, and other states started doing it pretty soon. There was different traditions in different places, and eventually our government said, hey, let's just do this all at one point. And that's what Memorial Day is about. It's about remembering and being grateful for for those who've paid that ultimate, you know, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his brothers and his friends. So, Memorial Day big day. That's why we have a big old flag out behind us. And, um, you know, I thought you might come up with, you know, your pants tucked into your boots and (laughs) doing that patent thing. But (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much for the joy of, (laughs) sorry, go ahead, honey. (laughs) 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 Pull this, fix this, pull this together. Would you, sweetie? Thanks. (laughs) Uh, I, I don't know if you
1: can hear me. Can you hear me? Okay. He can hear me. That's good. Oh, I thought you put tape on there so that I couldn't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> Chicken, yeah. Hello? Okay. I'm g- I can do this. I have a loud voice. Yep. Uh, no? I okay. I want to mention a couple of things. And one of them is, um, as you know, Wayne Gooch passed away, and we're going to have a, a memorial, actually, at National Cemetery in Kent, which will be on June 8th. It's a Friday. It's at 10:30, and if you're not there at 10:30, they don't wait. So <laughs> I would encourage you if you're going to go, get up there and be there like 10:15. Then following that, after uh, at two o'clock, back here we're going to have a reception, a cookie reception, and just talk and have you know fellowship. So I have this sign-up sheet if anybody wants to um, make cookies or some something fun to eat, and it will be out in the um, foyer area after service. And then I want to see if anybody has a memory verse. <laughs> Brianna has a memory verse. Do we have anybody else? I mean, I, you can come up. Yeah, you, come get on. ready. But is there anybody else? Brian? Hmm? No? Anybody? It's,
0: you can see her little arm up here in the front row was all coiled up and ready to go boom.
1: <coughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> on, job there, up. honey.
0: Come on. Can I help you get up I on the up. Uh, the black stage we got going on here? There we go, sweetie. Okay, here you go. Tell us your name. Brianna. Share with God's
1: people who are in need. Practice hospitality.
0: Way to go, honey. I like it. Okay. All right. It's
1: right there. Oh,
0: there you go, sweetie.
1: I guess now you can all go to class.
0: Kids are dismissed. Kids are dismissed to go to class. Kids
1: Kids and teacher Terry.
0: (laughs) There you go, sweetie. Thank you. Take take that that too. Well, today's the the 27th, so we dip for a quick drive-by into the book of Proverbs. And I picked verse 17 today. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And you get that in the King James Version because that's how I first memorized it. And I don't read the King James too much anymore. I study it sometimes. But um, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's not meant to be exclusive to men, by the way. Right, ladies? We do know that we can sharpen each other. You have to help me, Terry. My life's a mess. I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. Everybody's against me. You're my only friend. Today I'm starting a new series. And, uh, (laughs) no, it's called Those People. No, Those People. We're going to start a new series today. And, um... Uh, today, we're going to talk about those overly needy people, chronically, insistently in need. Now, um, I, I, I want to say, um, you know, over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about different, different uh, kinds of circumstances. We're going to talk in the, in the future about manipulative people, people who want to control you and manipulate you. We're going to talk about hypocritical people, people who say one thing and do another, and uh, what does the Bible say about that, and how do we deal with that, and we'll talk about in the, in the following week, we'll talk about critical people, people who can tear everything apart, they know something's wrong. In fact, critical people that are here right now have already got 15 things they didn't like about the church service so far, <laughs> and um, so we're going to go through this, and uh, I wanted to say this right at the very beginning that I think it's really important to us, for us to acknowledge that at one time or another, every one of us is those people. And so um, when I say, okay, we're going to start a series and we're going to talk about needy people and critical people and hypercritical all of these people, it'd be real easy for us to quickly get ourselves into this aggressive mindset and say, oh, yeah, those people. And our heart could get a little bit off bubble. So I want to encourage you and caution you about your heart as we go through this, that this is going to be about how to deal with and to minister To those people? What does the Word of God tell us about how to have a right heart and help them? Because when you encounter those people in your life, I'm just going to say it's God giving you the opportunity to make a difference that's positive for them. So um, I, I just want to start with prayer and say, Lord, um, we, we wander into this because your word teaches it. it's a good thing for us to have our hearts enlarged and to be better equipped to know how to deal with them. They frustrate us, though, sometimes, Lord. And sometimes they make our life difficult, and sometimes they just seem to, to, to bleed off life from us so forth, Lord. But we, we realize that, um, that you're at work here, that you love those people, and we're grateful that you do, because sometimes we're those people. So, Lord, um, keep um, keep our hearts sensitive before you. Yeah. And we thank you, God, as you guide us through this this series in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news is that in his word, God shows us how we should love. He shows us how we should care for, how we should minister to those people. Today, we're going to talk about those needy people. And oftentimes, when if you just use a title like that, the first thing people are going to think of is, oh, people who... Don't have enough money. And to be sure, um, you know, people who are unemployed, people who, who can't make ends meet, they don't have insurance, that's definitely within the category of those who are needy. But today I want to expand your thinking a little bit about that and talk a little bit about people who are in emotional need, more emotional. Some of you have someone in your life who everything's a drama. Everything's a drama. The world's against them, they're always a victim. You know, you have a phone conversation with them and when the phone conversation ends, everything's fine, fine. But three minutes later, they're calling you back. Going, oh, I'm just calling back to check to make sure we're okay. Are we okay? I'm not, I I'm not, wasn't too sure when we left that we were okay. Or if you don't answer it, you know, if you haven't answered it, they'll leave you a message and it's like eight minutes long about, is everything okay? Eight minutes long of this thing and you're thinking, okay, it's fine. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with eight-minute messages. But if you leave eight-minute messages, we might be talking about you. Okay? Might just be talking about you. The world's falling apart. I don't know what to do. There's always some kind of drama. How many of you are... It's okay to raise your hand. How many of you are thinking right now about... You have somebody in mind that kind of falls into this category. This room, this side of the room doesn't have any needy people. In those, But this is where we all know this must be the needy people half <laughs> of the room don't know. I'm sure I saw a a couple of hands out there somewhere. And the truth of the matter is that when we come across people that are in need, if we don't minister to them in a healthy way, in a healthy way, we can end up hurting ourselves. We want to help people that are in need. We genuinely want to help them. But if we don't help them in the right way, we can actually hurt them more and hurt ourselves in that process. So... Um, you know, you, you, you come into the situation, there's a scenario and you see something and a need and it's in your heart and you want to do something about it. So you do something about it and that's not enough. So you do more. It's still not enough. And eventually you pull back and thinking, you know what? I'm not liking how this is going, going to come up and I can't seem to do enough. They're never happy enough. And now then they become frustrated and mad at you because you're not doing enough. And now you feel guilty. And then you think about, you know, They're not better off. In fact, they're worse, and I'm bad too now. And the reason is because we didn't help them in the right way. So today I want to take a look at the right ways to help people. I want to set a couple of definitions as we start out. I want to talk to you about the difference between relief and restoration. Um, A lot of people need help, and they need relief. Relief is immediate and temporary assistance. You see someone who has had some sort of a tragedy in their life, an unexpected loss, and they need relief. Here in America, we're really pretty good at relief. Um, you know, there's a big old flood, and we're on top of it. Teams going off to help with flooding in Lewis County, or when Katrina hit, there was, you know, teams everywhere were heading for the airport with their tools and all their stuff, and Home Depot was sending plywood, and you just, all these things. Coca-Cola was sending bottles of water. All of these things going on a year ago, a little over a year ago here, the tsunami hits Japan, and without warning, we come to church and say, hey, can we help them? And we, without advance notice, received an offering, and I think this church gave a little over $3,000. We just ponied it up and sent it to help people. We're pretty good in the short term. You know, we help out. We're pretty good at that. And if somebody has a baby, we're on top of it. You know, We bring them their dinner, and if a tornado blows through, we show up with our tools, and we help put their roof back on the house. The thing is that when you see somebody who has a tragedy in their life, we really ought to ambush them with the love of God. Ambush is a good word. I love that. Ambush them with the love of God. You know, woo! You know, ambush them. <laughs> you get your friends and you show up the next week and you say, hey, we're cleaning this up. You don't need to worry. We're bringing meals in for the next week. Or something like, you know, hey, we're going to take your kids for the next two days. You two rest or you person rest, that's relief, and we're better at that than we are at restoration. That's the second type of help. And by our nature, we're just not quite as good at restoration um, as we are at relief because it's not temporary. It's ongoing. Restoration is working with people to restore them to their God-given potential. This isn't doing something for them This is working with them to restore them to their God-given potential. And the reason we're not as good at this is because it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. This isn't taking a week off uh, and vacation time and going with your tools to, to work on Katrina. This is maybe months or it's maybe years of working with someone through ups and downs and ups and downs and failures and restoration and goes on and celebration. and Finally, by God's power, Using people like you and me, that person is restored to their God-given potential. And this, this is the, you know, we're talking about the chronically insecure person. He says, meet my needs. Please, will you meet my needs? Value me. Make me feel special. I need a friend. And with that person, you sit down and across a table and you open up God's word. And you show them who God says they are in Christ. And you teach them and you help them do learn over time and with discipline to find their security not in who other people say they are but who God says they are in their word in the word and over time you see them restored to their god-given potential this is the person who never has any money they're always hurting they're always broke they can't solve their problem and you can't solve their problem by throwing 500 dollars at them you can't i've watched people try to do that that's that's relief Sometimes people need restoration. They spent years digging themselves down into a financial hole. Sometimes, and you're not going to fix it with a check, with a check. You know, you you help them and you teach them maybe over a period of time a new language, a new way of thinking. Debt is stupid. Debt is bad. We're going to pay cash. We're going to get rid of our credit cards, and eventually they become debt free, and eventually they become generous people. and And God has used you not for relief, but for restoration. And that takes time. It just takes time. And the problem today is that we do want to help. We really do want to help. But the challenge is this. Most of us want to offer relief when a lot of time, what they really need is restoration. There's some great Bible stories, and I picked one that's going to help us. And we're going to go over the three prayers. I'm going to give you three prayers of a restorer. And we're going to go over that today. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. Follow along. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth, so he was born lame his whole life, he was crippled. He was being carried to the temple, to to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. Now, here we have a guy who has significant need his whole life. People had been offering him relief. They carried him each morning. He sat and he begged. People gave him. They carried him home at night, every day, over and over again. This guy was pretty smart because there were three common places to go and to beg, the most common places. The most, the, the, one of them was the highways. You'd, you'd go to some place uh, where a lot of traffic went by, and you see that today in some cities at the on and off ramps. You see people. That's where they go, and, and they beg because there's a lot of traffic there. Another place to go and beg was in, the, in, the, in, in front of the homes of wealthy people. They figured, okay, you go where the dough is, follow the money, okay? So they would W. But the most lucrative place to go was in front of the temple. You would see people in front of the temple because that was a place of guaranteed traffic. Plus, there were some pigeons there. Probably shouldn't use a word like that, but I mean, I should use the word Pharisees there. Pharisees were the ones who loved to give publicly. Hey, look at me helping this needy person. So they could pretty much be guaranteed that somebody was going to hand them something because it was in front of the temple. And so this guy was trained his entire life. He was trained that people would give him relief, that people would meet his need. Okay, verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, which, by the way, most people think is their greatest need. Money. Money. Most people think that's their greatest need. Four, Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. He wanted eye contact. Okay. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Why? Well, because that's what people had given him all along. They had given him what he wanted. They'd been giving him what he people People had been giving him money. They'd been giving him relief. He'd, he wanted relief. They'd been giving him relief this whole time. But the next verse we're going to see, Peter kind of starts changing the circumstances. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. You want money? I don't have any money. But what I have, I give I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Could be a classic example of a hand up instead of a hand up. Okay, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What a scene. That must have been a scene. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, That all of the people saw that. What just happened here to this guy? They helped miraculously bring restoration. They worked with him. You stand up you believe God can bless you and can help you. And when they worked with him, God restored him. And we typically don't work with people. We tend to work for people in a circumstance like this because we wrongly believe that we are the necessary ingredient for them to get better. We wrongly believe that. And we place ourselves in their lives in a role that I would say would be just... this is, this is not a scriptural term, but it's a descriptor in a role of being a functional savior. We place ourselves into that place in someone's life as their functional savior. You need me. I have the answers. I've got the solution. If I don't meet your needs, nobody's going to meet your needs. And then I tried it. You didn't like it. It wasn't enough. Now I feel guilty. Why? Because I believed it was necessary that I was necessary to make you feel better. That's why you and I need the three prayers of the restorer that I'm going to give you. Because when we pray, this prayer, these prayers, it puts us in our rightful place. Or we end up trying to do things that we won't actually help them. It puts us in our rightful place remembering that God is the one who restores. It's God that restores. He's the power source. We're the connector. We need his wisdom and we need his help. So three prayers. One, the first prayer is this. God, help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. That could be so hard. That could be so hard to know the difference. This, this guy says, I want money. Peter says, I'm not giving you money. In the name of Jesus, walk. Because people will tell you what they think they need or what they want. You're going to need wisdom to, be, to go beyond what they say and even sometimes to go beyond what you feel because your feelings sometimes can get in the way here. You're going to need wisdom to be able to discern the real and specific need in a circumstance. For example, you know, someone may say to you, Hey, I need some money and may God may just show you very clearly. No, no, you need a job, a real one, a really 40 day, 40 hours a week job. and, the truth is that the Lord might show you something like, you know, hey, if I give you money, you're just going to keep sleeping on the couch. And um, that's what would happen because if you give them the relief when they really needed the restoration. Now, this can sound really hard-hearted. I don't mean to come across as hard-hearted. Um, I'm, I'm actually, this is really, actually pretty good preaching.
1: Laughter
0: I mean (laughs) okay so you so somebody says you know I need $580 to make my car payment I gotta make my car payment no if you're in that kind of a situation you don't need a $35,000 car you need a $2,500 car and you need it now I mean if that's really where you are because you're in bondage to something that you can't avoid okay that's hard loving truth by the way it's you need to be loving, full of love. Otherwise, you are one banging, clanging, cymbal, gonging something. You won't come across. That's why we needed to pray at the beginning. and We need to keep prayerful about this because these kinds of truths have to be handled with f- full love, full of grace. Not a balance of the two, but complete love and complete grace. Because at a point, the loving thing is to say, you know, I'm just not going to continue to give you something that feels good now but really hurts you in the long run. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, but I just need you to make me feel special. You didn't call me in the last 30 minutes. You didn't come to my house today. You know, why haven't you done, fill in the blank, why haven't you done this for me? I need you. No. The truth is, you have a need I can't meet. There is a God-shaped void in your soul that no one can meet but God. And I want to love you, but I'm going to do it in a way that's going to help you. Really, really help you. Wow. Okay. Three prayers. God, uh, give, help me give the people what they truly need, not just what they want. Second prayer. Now, this one can be transforming, although it's really a hard one to do. Two. God, help me stay out of the way, out of your way, by not continually rescuing people from their consequences. Let's repeat that. Help me stay out of your way, God, by not continually rescuing people from their consequences. Wow, what a fine line to walk. It's really hard to know sometimes when you need to come sweeping into a circumstance with mercy and grace and provision and relief. And other times when you just have to stand back and chew through your own lip and say, this is so hard to watch, but God's at work here. I mean, as a parent, knowing that is a fine art. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, the old you know the old metaphors you know you watch a child and they burn their, themselves on the stove and in the future they'll understand when you say no or when you say hi it's hard you want you want them to experience that when you're not looking so you don't have to watch them when you know you could have stopped them but sometimes they've got to learn those hard things it's hard to know that it's really difficult that's why for you to be a restorer You've got to get healthy with the Lord. You've got to get into relationship with the Lord so that his voice will help you know when those tough moments come. By the way, I'm not suggesting to turn on the stove and leave the kitchen, okay? I'm not suggesting that at all. i am just used that as a metaphor. I mean, I mean, every child at some point learns because they will test your authority. They started early, right? They learn those difficult, hard lessons, and sometimes you can see them headed for something that's going to hurt. Calculations going in my heart, my mom, my mom heart, my dad heart, whatever I am. This is going to hurt. It's going to be. A, it's going to be some grief. There's going to be some crying, w- wailing, weeping, gnashing of teeth. <laughs> There's a great lesson here. Is this one the one? Is this worth it? I mean, that's a hard, hard, tender subject for a parent, for any person, and it doesn't go away because your kids have grown up and moved out of the home. By the way. It doesn't just apply to your own kids. Most of you know that we're talking about people who are not your family, but they're somewhere in your life. So God, help me stay out of the way continually. Because God set up this system. And the system is we reap what we sow. (coughs) There are consequences for our own good that come with sin. The consequences are for our own good. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you plant corn, if you put corn seeds in the ground, what's going to grow is corn. If you plant stupid seeds in the ground, what's going to grow is stupid. Can I say stupid in church? Oh, good. (laughs) Oh, good. I mean, you know, Mama said stupid is as stupid does. You agree, you know. You know that came from, um, you know, when when uh, when that movie was out and that was said. I think people in the South got that more than the rest of the country because that's actually a play on words from a very common Southern saying: "Beauty is as beauty does," which basically means that someone should be judged based on their actions, not on superficial, you know, right? Stupid is so. If you plant stupid in the ground. Expect to harvest a crop. Oh, stupid, because that's how it works. That's the system that the Lord, the Lord. And and it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So don't don't plant stupid seeds. Okay. so there's there's a point for free wasn't. But we often rescue people from their own decisions. And then by doing that, we're getting in God's way. We get in God's way. Now, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant. This could be a, a rabbit trail. I can't really tell, but it's in my notes, so we're going to go there. One of the biggest parenting we mis- mistakes that we make is that we get into this habit of rescuing our kids over and over again, and it starts when they're really young. It starts when they're really young. In fact, there's an entire industry out there to protect your children, an entire industry of products out there to protect your kids. Um, now, I'm not talking about loving protection from real harm, okay? Okay. I'm not talking, this is the good thing. I'm not talking about this. And in fact, I'm not talking about caging your children. um, The wrong end of the spectrum. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not talking about this homemade version of caging your children. (laughs) Although... Notice it's plugged into the wall. And although some dads need some special instructions about children, (laughs) you'd never throw your baby off the page. Uh, But apparently, some moms need some instructions too. (laughs) I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about how sometimes... Parents short circuit the development process. The process where children le- learn to, to trust and to honor externally placed guidelines. You know, oh, your science paper is due and you're, it's due tomorrow and you're not ready here. Give it to me. Let me do it for you or help you write it. Mm-hmm. Because it was more important for you to do Game Boy for the last four days. <laughs> or, oh, you wrecked your brand new car but you're 16 and I couldn't bear to abuse you by not providing you with another new BMW, so let me get you one of those. I mean, (laughs) maybe it's a little overstated, just a tad. Consequences are not a lack of forgiveness and they're not a lack of love. They're a God-designed mechanism to build character and to motivate positive behavior for the long term. Healthy consequences sound like this. Oh, you're 32? I'm sorry, you can't stay on the sofa anymore. I'll teach you how to iron your shirts and fold your clothes. I'll help you in whatever ways, but you can't live on the sofa anymore. It's not good for you. I love you, but you can't stay. The prodigal son story found in Luke chapter 15, there is an amazing thing that's going on there, if you watch carefully, um, about the father, about what he did not do in that story. You know, it's a great story. It's so full of love. And the picture of this father is wonderful. What he did was so righteous and so right and so loving and so forgiving. It's so wonderful. But what he didn't do is equally right and loving and righteous, but difficult. It's interesting to note what he didn't do. Story is son says, hey, give me my inheritance. Give me my money. Now it's not even his yet. But he's got this me attitude thing going on. Give me my money. So his dad says, okay, gives it to him. Gives him his inheritance. He takes it, spends it all on parties and booze and girls and, you know. And then when he crashes, he ends up in the pig pen, literally. Which in their society, pork was an unclean meat. These people weren't supposed to have anything to do with, with pigs. Let alone be raising them and let alone be in there with them, feeding them. This guy was on the bottom. There was, there was no lower place for this guy. I love what the dad did not do here at this point because it's pretty revealing to note that what this real father did not do because and for the son that he really loved. He loved him enough to leave him in the pig pen. That's hard. That is so hard. Why is that love? Why did he choose that? The word of God says he chose that so his son could come to his senses. That's what the Bible says is that the son came to his senses. And the son realized that's the God mechanism, consequence mechanism, kicking in and working. The son realized, I'd rather be a servant in my father's home. I was better off before. I was wrong. Heaven's going, bang, 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 lights, fireworks are going off. All these good things are going off. But dad, if you love me, you'd rescue me. No, because I love you, I can't rescue you. Because I love you so much, I can't interfere with the God-given consequences that are going on in your life. And it's hard because I love you. My dad said to me a couple of times, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> and we like to laugh about that, but it's true. It's just true. Although it did hurt me sometimes. <laughs> and I needed those, you know, that thing across my tail side. But some people just got to learn the hard way. I'm one of them. I'm trying not to be that way anymore in my life. But, you know, I look back at times in my life where the things I needed to learn, God wanted to to teach me with a whisper. And I've used an analogy before that now I'm, sometimes I've been the guy that needed a two-by-four upside the head. You know, and when God takes a two-by-four from heaven and swings it, up in heaven it's this short, but down there, after that whole radius comes down, it's going pretty fast by the time <laughs> it sends me tumbling. And, you know, I can remember, <laughs> um, I didn't ask permission to share this, mom sitting here somewhere. I remember um, one point, for me, where my heart was like this prodigal son before he got squared away. My heart was like that. And um, I don't even remember what it was that I got in a snit about. I was probably 18. But I got into some kind of a snit, something of some sort. Dad was at work. Mom was at home. And I said, you know what? If you don't, I can't remember even what it was. I'm leaving. (laughs) I didn't have any of the cards. She had all the aces in the deck. And I remember my mother's face. She looked at me and she said, Okay. (laughs) She didn't say, No, 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 please don't go. Here, here, have this. She didn't do that. She looked at me lovingly and she said, Okay. The blood drained out, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I packed up my stuff and I was gone for a season. And I remember, I remember in that process of that season, the Lord saying, stupid is as stupid does, (laughs) or the equivalent to me. But I remember realizing, oh, that was, that was really stupid. I was really wrong. I remember coming to my senses to whatever degree I have them. And I remember also realizing, not only do I need to get back into a better place which which I never should have left. But I have to go back different than I left. I got to be more humble and I'm going to have to show that. That's what I literally thought. That's the kind of restoration that you want your sons and your daughters, that you want your friends, that you want to be going on. That's the kind of thing that only God can do because God is the restorer. Three prayers. God, give me... Um, help me give people what they truly need, not what they want. Help me stay out of your way by not continually rescuing them. And through number three, God, help me remember that I am in need too and that you are always the answer. And this point, this third one, is key to the whole thing. I'm in need too and that, Lord, you are always the answer. Because if you really want to help people that are in need, you need to remember that you're in need too. I love David's Psalms. Um, And here's one from Psalm 70. He was really feeling put upon. And here's what he says. He says, Yet I am poor and needy. I'm needy. I'm needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. When you realize that you're in need too. And that you are not the Savior Jesus is. Then you rip yourself out of that place of being somebody else's functional savior because you are now pointing the way to Jesus instead of yourself. The thing is, this you may have the most generous heart in the world, but if you think that God needs you to meet everybody else's needs, your God's too small. As long as you think I'm needed, I'm important, I'm necessary, you overinflate your ego. And you dilute your ability to point people and connect them to the true power source. Because you're not the God. I'm not the God. We're the connectors. We point people there. And when you realize that you're mutually in need, only then are you able to point people to Jesus because you're pointed that way. Personal comments from Pastor Terry. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I need prayer. I need support. I need friends. I'm in need. Just like you. Guess what? You can help connect me to the Lord. And the person to your left and the person to your right and the person in front of you. Virtually every need and any need that any of us have, I really believe, can be met by by God through his people when we humble ourselves and we say we're mutually broken sinners and we need a savior. We need, we're in the need of a savior. God will supply all of your needs through his people, by his glory and for his name's sake. And then we can be restored to our God-given potential to be who God created us to be. That's how God is going to use the church to make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful today.